welcome to the North Witch Podcast with your hosts, Azario Flame and Sandra Von Holland. In this podcast, we explore all the things that can help us to be better and improve our lives in body, mind, and spirit. Looking at everything from witchcraft, sorcery, woo-woo, spirituality, biohacking, the mundane, and everything in between. We occasionally have on guests from various backgrounds, practices, and philosophies. We welcome everyone from all walks of life, from the left-hand path to the right-hand path, from the medical to the holistic, from the woo-woo to the scientific and everything in between. We have conversations and discussions about our experiences over the years, what works for us, what hasn't worked, and explore new theories and science, trying them out, seeing what works, and debunking what doesn't. Thank you for joining us on this wicked adventure along the crooked path as we adventure into the mysterious and wonderful world and welcome what truly works for us to become better witches, sorcerers, magicians, and our best selves so that we can live our best lives. May these conversations help you to ignite the light within. The views expressed by our guests on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of us here at Northwich Magic Co. All of the information shared on this podcast is anecdotal and shared for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute medical or financial advice. Always consult a doctor, physician, or professional in their field before trying any of the things that may be discussed on this channel. Magic and holistic healing should work alongside allopathic care when necessary. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Northwich Podcast. And today's lovely guest is Sarah Mastro. Sarah is a author with Red Wheel Wiser and has published two books now, the uh, Book of Magical Incense and the Orphic Hymns Grimoire. Um, how's it going today, Sarah? It's going very well. How are you guys? Oh, we're doing really, really good. Um, I've also noticed that you are now launching and really going and advertising your witchlessons.com, okay. um, which is a really cool thing. Um, so what kind of courses are you offering on there right now? So right now, the two classes that are running live, like we're doing live sessions, are Introduction to Witchcraft, 13 Lessons in Practical Spellcraft. We just finished lesson three. So like it would be easy for somebody who wanted to join now to catch up to the cohort. And as is the case in every class I teach to adults, um, you know, many people are still on lesson one, uh, which is not a complaint. I will say if I was in this class, I would like probably either read the whole thing the night I got it or like be way behind. I'm a bad student. It's true. <laughs> um, and then I am That's also awesome, ready. I like it. You know. um, like, I feel like the classes are pretty chill. The only reason I think it's beneficial to like, keep up with the class is I know for me, really shame is the only thing that motivates me to do anything so like if I have a study buddy who like I promised I would do my reading for then I do it but if it was just me I probably wouldn't so one of the things I really encourage in the class is like people working together I think that's really important in magic generally like I I mean I don't know you guys like magical origin stories but I know like when I was coming up in magic like I think many people had co-magicians relatively early in their magical career and now I feel like I routinely run into people who practice for like decades and have never done magic in the same room as another person which is not bad but I just think they're missing out I genuinely you know what it is like it's not I mean it is I guess I think learning happens better collaboratively blah 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 but it's also like it's just so fun like they're really at least for me there is almost no thrill in my life as much as like working magic with other people like hand in hand sharing 
breath, like conspirare, sharing breath, sharing spirit in the same room. I love it. Well, it builds all the community. And I think exactly. the community of it just builds and builds and you just get more out of it when you're sharing as a community. Yeah, I agree. So that's right. one of the things I really focus on in the intro class is like trying to hook people up with other learning magicians, because even though it's an introductory class and it's designed for people, like it is designed so that you can come in having never read anything like that really is your first like glimpse at it. But most people in the class actually do have some experience. And so that really adds a richness because like different people are bringing lots of different things to the table, which I really like. And then the other class I am running live right now is the Planetary Pentacles of Solomon Magician King, which people could also join now if they wanted, but we're actually most of the way through that course already. So like they would get videos of all the back courses, but they might want to just wait a couple months until the class restarts for that one. And then this is not official yet, actually. I mean, I guess if I tell it to you, it's official now. Um, I think the next class, when the Solomon class ends, I think we're probably going to launch like an intermediate tarot class, which would be a little bit divination, but I think I really want to talk about like using tarot in spellcraft. So I think there will be a class on that in a couple of months. Love it. But it's not quite like I don't have an exact curriculum for it yet, but it's on the horizon. That sounds awesome. So you're always evolving. You're doing more and more. more. I get bored. Honestly, like I would not want to, you know, honestly, that's my favorite thing about like being in this business instead of other jobs I have had is that like I just get to do all different things. And so it's never boring, which is my favorite thing about it. That's crazy good. Like that's just that's the dream, really. Yeah, yeah. I love my job. Like very few complaints. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I got I had the time to actually go and I did your uh lesson one in your introduction witchcraft, and I thought it was fantastic. I absolutely loved your perspective of bringing in the little girl and making the uh everybody want to act like children and really bring out that inner play. I think that's really important and a aspect that a lot of people really miss in doing magic. And I think it's really cool that you bring that in. in the I see so many beginners who are scared, who are just scared to do magic and they've read so many books. Like, look, I like books. I'm never going to encourage people to read less books, but they have this idea that they have to like have a master's degree in the history of sorcery before they're allowed to cast a spell. And so I really think that like just sort of like playful magic really like breaks open that that like cultural prison that we've all put ourselves in that like doing magic is like a weird shameful thing to do. But that's nonsense. That's just imperial programming. But I really feel like play is always the best way to break through that kind of shame about magic or anything else. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And I even let my, uh, I have a 12 year old daughter who's just starting to explore this and I let her read part of the lessons and she just absolutely loved your teaching style on it. So within within like 15, 20 minutes, she was like, can we do this one dad? This is awesome. So if you can captivate my attention and the attention of a 12 year old, I think it's a very awesome crossover for, you know, people to learn from because that's, that's a very wide range that you'll be able to reach with that. Yeah. So I encourage people to do it like with their kids. I will say though, like just to anybody listening, like that intro class is not designed for kids. And there are definitely things in that class. You don't want a young kid, like, like lesson one is very little kid friendly. Yeah. And broadly, like the material is kid friendly, but it would definitely have to have like a parent 
between the lesson and the kid. Like, for example, I think in lesson 11, I teach sex magic. Okay, well, fair Which, like, maybe not for your 12 year old. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So, I, I really want to encourage people, like, I'm down for you to teach that to your kids, but like, don't just let your kids read those. Don't just chuck them into Sarah's. Like, don't sign one. up your kid. <laughs> I will. I've been thinking a lot. Like, I actually get a lot of requests for like a kids' class, but I don't have kids and I taught high school, but that's not the same as teaching like children, children. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but we if anybody listening, if anybody, yeah, right, I, same, yeah. I get asked for, like, kids' materials all the time, so if anybody listening is, like, a witch and an elementary school teacher who wants to make, like, I encourage you to write those books or make those lessons, there is yeah. definitely a market for that. Yeah, that's, Absolutely, that's, there's a big gap. Yeah, like, I get, that's probably the, mo- the number one question I get asked in terms yeah. of, like, what people want is kids' materials, and I just don't really have anything for them except, like, just read more fairy tales like that's how I learned when I was a kid and that worked great so yeah absolutely I, I think you've done really well like uh, going with your first lesson there if you kind of went with something like that you'd do well I have a course that I do teach kids um, I've taught my kids it and some of their friends and whatever and it's called color Reiki for kids and so it's oh, that's it, cool. it's using the seven colored rays of the rainbow like you, mm-hmm. like you do in your class right. and, that, and then we teach them how to manipulate the energy with just using color and play and things like that so oh, that's, that's what, i think that's do, probably do why you i teach resonated. that online like can i send people to you next time i get that question i i haven't been for a while but yeah you i've should. been really considering it because yeah. we get so many people asking about classes for kids and you know reiki's just you know let's manipulate energy with mm-hmm. our hands and and channel it and whatever and so to be able to do that with you know just colors and whatever is it's a really cool it's a, it's a good intro <laughs> yeah i love colors as an intro as you mentioned even for adults that's what's in lesson one, which is on YouTube, by the way, if anybody wants to watch this lesson one, it's on YouTube. Um, but yeah, I th- that you should make that class happen. <laughs> well, I will work on that <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. Voila, there we are. <laughs> <Ta-da>. <laughs> All right. So, Mom, you were uh, reading up on Sarah's book there. Did you have any questions that jumped out at you right off the bat there? We do have some listener questions here, but let's uh, see what you got. I have a few different things. I got, I'll just shameful plug, Sarah. Here's Sarah's book. Uh, We actually fight over this book, like, (laughs) truly, because it's like, I want the book. So, obviously, at the shop, we need to order in a whole bunch more. Um, I, I can help you do that. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yeah, I think we know the right people. And I loved like before we pressed record on here, I loved what you're saying about your book of that you want it to be all messed up after. Oh yeah. So I, we were saying about like right. We were saying about how we all prefer paperbacks to ebooks. And I was saying that like this book in particular, it's really my hope that people like crack the spine and lay it open on their counter and that like what I really want is in a couple years I want people to send me photos of their book just like totally ruined like all the best cookbooks right so it just has like stains and smears and oil spills all over it that that's like my goal for this book is that it really like be used right and that it inspire you to make incense and do magic that's that's the goal of the book and it has that perfect feel like you totally okay. want to so here you are at the rosemary page so i can totally see just bookmarking it with a piece of rosemary right like you're using actually use the book and that's we've been at the shop we we do make our own incense as well so we do reference your book quite often to go oh what does sarah say mm-hmm. so yeah 
We do. We do love it a lot. And like I said, we do oh, fight well. over it. So, I mean, I'm happy to send you a second copy. Some <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I was looking up some more things about you because, of course, we love this. But I'm like, what else is she about? Because she's about so much. Um, and now I've forgotten because I didn't take my notes from the shop to home. Um, your bowls. Oh, the, yeah. Okay. So Babylonian incantation bowls, they're sometimes called Babylonian demon bowls, are a kind of broadly home protection magic from mostly Jewish Babylon. So like maybe like earliest starting around maybe like 400 CE and then running. I mean, most places will tell you like running into like the maybe 900s, but like I still make them. So I don't know what, like, I don't know how they're putting an end cap on that. That's a thing I do right now in 2022. Um, And so they're really interesting because, you know, they're archaeological artifacts. So like a lot of what we know about them, we dig, like we found them in a place, right? So they have a real context to them, but they're also texts because they have a magical text like written inside the bowl. And because of like the nature of the kind of magical text it is, it names the magician who made it and like the people who live in the house and like all the things they're protecting against. So it gives us like this really sort of like fascinating look into the culture, right? So one of the things we learn, for example, is that like, um, these were professionally made by like a village magician. We can tell because there will be like, and these were really popular, like in some places where we actually get I say we, like, as if I'm the archaeologist digging them up. You know, <laughs> people do that, not me, um, right? But we dig them up, like, in Nippur, they found, I mean, almost every house had one, right? They were really quite common. But you will find that, like, in a whole section of town, like, the bowls are clearly all written by the same person who is not any of the people who live in the house, right? right. Um, and, you know, the names tell us really interesting things about, like, the ethnicity. So, like, they were they were often, like, made by Jewish magicians for non-Jewish clients. They were often made by women, which I find really interesting. We don't always see, like, magic has always been a profession that was engaged in by women as well as men. But I feel like the historical record doesn't always, like, show us what women are doing as well as men. Right. So I both make those bowls as home protective elements, but I also teach a class in them. So there's a lesson. That on. one that one totally spoke to me as soon as when I was scrolling things, all things Sarah Mastro's. And like, I really love that cool. like super niche kind of thing because I feel like yeah. I feel like when you have a really narrow topic, you can really like dig into all the like technical details and talk about how like so those style of effectively exorcisms right so there's different kinds but a lot of them they're trying to exercise like a specific kind of spirit and they're often written as like a divorce decree which i feel like is a really cool way to frame it yeah that's really common in like um near eastern and like levantine magic and north african magic is to frame an exorcism as a divorce which i really like i think it's a class i've got to i have i will totally dive into that because that just and because it's a protection bowl and all the things it just really really spoke to me so yeah so there's like some technical academic stuff about the bulls but then i also just teach people how to make bulls love it love 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 that awesome and then i cut you off because you thought i was going to the second book but i totally i did went way over there so how about the second book tell us about that yeah so this is actually there. my first book that came out it's oh, okay. orphic hymns grimoire Um, They're new translations of the Orphic Hymns, which are a collection of sacred poetry from ancient Greece. There's 88 of them. So it sort of covers all the like 
usual suspects of Greek mythology, and then like some more obscure spirits, including some spirits that until quite recently, like quite recently in archaeology terms, like we only knew about from the Orphic hymns, but in the last like 20 or 30 years, we've started like digging up some things in Anatolia that have those same names on them. Um, so there's like some interesting obscure stuff for like ancient Greek nerds, um, but it's all translated into modern English. And then there's like history and commentary and spells that go along with it. And there's also um, icons, right? For the gods to work with. And they're like coloring book style. So I really encourage people to like color them in. We were talking before, I really like color as sort of a magical parrot. I guess is a way to talk about it. And I feel like the act of coloring in images is a really good way to sort of like attend to the image and like allow the spirit to sort of like slowly come forth in the image, right? So when I color them, for example, I always save the eyes for last and then I do those and like open up their eyes so they're alive. Um, nice. That's something I really like. And then a second edition, which has more material in it, uh, will be out from Hadean. I believe in September. You'd think I would know when. <laughs> I think September or <laughs> in the you fall. People, people to keep that in line. For you. Oh, I really don't actually. <laughs> like I'm just bad at organizing. My <laughs> I think September in the fall. Anyhow, it'll be out from Hadean, a second edition. Nice. So first edition is still for sale, but it's going to go out of print pretty quick. So if people want a first edition, they should buy it Ooh. soon. That's a good plug. We'll put that at the bottom where they can get it. I mean, I'm not trying to like, you know, hard sell people. Like, <laughs> you could also wait for the second edition, which, like, you know, is in some ways I'm better. Sure you'll just want both. In, I think so. Those of us who love books I just want so. all, right? Yeah. And this one is, uh, so this one was self published. And I think that gives it a certain charm. But like, I think readers will see that perhaps graphic design, like I didn't do the illustrations, right? I have an illustrator and he did these amazing illustrations, but the actual like layout of the book maybe is not as good as when a real publisher does it. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it'll be just spectacular. Because I think it'll awful. be cool. Yeah, it's yeah. quirky. It's like, right? I think, I think you really like get to see inside my mind by reading that book, which, you know, I got to say. I love it in here. So, <laughs> well, and even that's even your incense book—that's one thing that I absolutely love about it—is it's like I'm sitting there having a conversation with you, and you're just kind of going, "Oh, do this," and you know, grab that and sniff this, and like your one uh, description you had in there was the best description for picking out resins or herbs or whatever I've ever heard. It's like you have the munchies, and you're standing in front of the refrigerator. You know, we've all been there. We all know that feeling. We all know that pull you get when that perfect piece of food is staring at you. So I thought that was the best description ever for how to pick your items and build right? your own friends. <laughs> and I feel like sometimes it's frustrating in the same way where you like close the refrigerator or the incense pantry and then open it again, hoping that miraculously something new has appeared in it <laughs> yeah. in that time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big believer in keeping a like well-stocked witch pantry, which I think some people mean think I mean like buy a lot of weird exotic things online, but that's not what I mean at all. I mean like wander around in the woods and like when you find a cool rock 
ask to be allowed to take it home or like I think sometimes when people look at like ancient recipe books they get this idea that like the person who was designing the spell like called for this really specific ingredient and they have to get exactly that but I think it goes the other way right like I have a lot of spells that I do with volcano ash but that's because one time at a yard sale, I found an entire box of like little vials of like for tourists of Mount St. Helens ash. So yeah. I actually just have a lot of volcano ash laying around. And that's why it's in my spells. Right. And I think that that's kind of the way it is. Right. I think when you have that sort of like it's just like any other kind of like art supply. Right. When you have like a cabinet of weird to just stare into, like the spirits in the cabinet will talk amongst themselves and give you ideas. Yeah, for sure. Well, and then you can go the other way, too. And, you know, like really good cooks, you can give them three or four ingredients. Yeah, and exactly. A, a really good recipe at you. Right. So I think magic is kind of the same way. You know, mm -hmm. you learn just as much from poverty and not having as you do from having a big bouquet of options right yeah absolutely that's one of the things I really wanted to do in the book because when you know when I was learning this I was really frustrated by recipe books because they didn't like explain why they had put those things in there so like if I didn't have one of them I didn't really know how to substitute because I didn't understand why any of those things were in the recipe and I really wished the book would have explained that. So that's my goal in this book is to like, I really tried to go through the ingredients in detail and talk about their magical virtues, but also talk about like what facts about the plant let me know that it had that magical virtue, right? Because then, because, you know, I can't, I can't write about every plant in the world, right? There's too many. And I really encourage people to like, use the plants that grow near them, right? So particularly for people who yes. live in like the desert, I don't really know anything about their plants, like no more than they do. Definitely, right? Yeah, so sure. yeah, so I tried to like talk about how to learn the virtues of a plant and talk about plants as examples of that. And then similarly in the recipes, like there are a lot of recipes, but the goal is really to use those recipes to like kind of explain different ways to make up a recipe and different ways to think about substituting so that people can make up their own recipes. But I feel like, um, I think a very small pantry of ingredients, if you think about them carefully, lets you make like basically any kind of, of incense or potion you might want to make, right? With just a relatively, a quite limited supply and all things that like you could get at the grocery store or like you could definitely wild harvest. So like I use mugwort a lot, but like at least where I live, mugwort grows everywhere like it's in every abandoned lot and every roadside ditch and every overgrown field has mugwort in it and you know i don't know where other people live but there's a lot you know witching plants tend to actually be quite resilient weedy plants so they're quite easy to find most of the time and i really encourage people to like instead of picking a list of witching herbs and then going out to find them to really just like explore the land where they actually live and see what is available and then think about what to do with that, like build relationships with those particular plants. For sure. that's, a, that's brilliant advice, absolutely.
Yeah, and I, I love the advice that you did give in the book about, you know, how to have the basics of how you can identify what your local flora and fauna might have to offer to you. And I, I think mm-hmm. that's like an invaluable tip because like you say, it the same stuff doesn't grow everywhere. You know, like you, you just said you have mugwort everywhere. Well, I don't have a lot of mugwort here, but, you know, I have aconite <laughs> in my backyard and I bet a lot of people don't, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I will say, like, I tried pretty hard to cover like a wide variety of plants, but there probably is a little bit of like a northeast bias in my plant selection. <laughs> right. So there's where, a lot of like where are you at, Sarah? In Please Pittsburgh. Oh, right, right, right. I read that. We should have said that. Sarah's Whatever. In- <laughs> I feel like people in Pittsburgh already know that, and people who aren't in Pittsburgh don't need to know. There we go. go. I didn't mean to suggest everybody in the whole city knows me, but like. (laughs) So you also are a witch for hire. Um, Do you do pretty well everything or is there some certain specialties that you offer or what what would you like to get into? I have. Yeah. So I am willing to do like I theoretically do a wide variety of things, but the truth is. I turn down a lot. These days, most of what I do as a witch for hire is like consulting with other magicians, right? Who want like help strategizing for a big magical work or they're like going through something they don't understand and they want like just a second pair of eyes on it. Um, In terms of just like straight up witch for hire, I still do some divination. Um, Real estate magic is a specialty of mine, like buying and selling houses in particular. Um, my dad was a realtor, so I like grew up in a real estate office. Um, and then magic for teachers and students. I do sort of specialize in some of that as well, but you know, I, I guess what I'll say is I'm, I'm a prima donna, so I'll take the cases that are interesting. Nice. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, if I'm not the right person to help somebody, I can always refer them to somebody who is you know. Yeah, for sure. And we all have a, our own nice little community that we can usually share people to. I've mm-hmm. been sending people for your pentacles class because oh, yeah? I've, I've been enjoying the few lessons I've taken of it so far. Oh, I'm glad you like it. it. It's been quite great. So yeah, it's nice to, nice to see that you're offering these and they're really affordable classes. So it, that's a nice, a nice thing. I mean, in the world of the occult right now, there's lots of, you know, $3,000 courses and things like that, that, you know, just seem really out of touch for people. So it's, yeah, I try and keep everything real affordable, but also I'm always happy to work out like scholarship plans and barter for people. So nice. Well, that's awesome. So I started just turning the price up for rich people and handing out more scholarships. (laughs) That's my new strategy is I'm just slowly turning prices up. Turn up the dial. Well, you know, I guess what I'm saying is I'd rather charge a millionaire $3,000 and then charge five people nothing than like, you know, so we'll see. It's an experiment in pricing. I I don't, I truthfully do not understand the witch economy at all. Like I'm just doing (laughs) things and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And I like, I guess I, just, I feel lucky and blessed that at least for me, like the business side of it mostly just kind of works itself out. Like I do things that I think are cool and somehow people give me money for them, which is exciting. But also like being a nun is not that expensive. So like, you know what I mean? Like 
my costs. <laughs> like I don't, yeah. Like I don't have kids. So like my costs are pretty low. Right. Do you want to talk about that a little bit of your life like that? Oh. I think that would be interesting too. Sure. So, um, so I consider myself a monastic, as I said, um, I am still in a novitiate period. I have not yet formally taken vows, I guess, because I'm, uh, yeah. others have suggested in the past that perhaps I have trouble with commitment. So <laughs> I also feel that some of them had trouble with autonomy. So <laughs> Like, um, so I anticipate taking formal vows pretty soon. I'm sort of in that. The, the way it works is I like you actually have to be 44 to take a formal vow that I am considering. Oh. And I just turned 44. So it's like newly an option. Now the pressure. Though. Yeah. Well, pressure I mean, no pressure. I don't No pressure. Like I just. I in fact, like I'm joking. I, I am in fact uh, sketchy about commitment. <laughs> <laughs> as I mentioned, as I mentioned before, I like to do a lot of different things. Um, but no, so it, that's going really well. Um, the the group I work with is called Sisters of the Croco Peplos. We're still it's it's still very new, right? So it's still just a couple of us. Then we're all sort of like figuring it out. So if anybody is interested, I'm super happy to talk about it. Um, like we work yeah. in service to the goddess of the Croco Peplos, who is a goddess of uh, liminality, learning, and liberation. And those are three things I like I'm in favor of all of <laughs> those <awesome>. things. <laughs> so that's working perfectly for you. Yeah, I really, I gotta say like, like I don't want to jinx anything. Like, right. like, you know, no evil eye here, but like, you know, things are going reasonably well. I'm pretty happy. And being a nun is um, interesting. Not, I have, only recently started wearing the habit like I think you know I've been wearing it like when I work right so when I teach and when I like do magic I've been wearing it for quite some time but I've only sort of recently started wearing it in like everyday life and it is like it changes the way people behave with you in public in a way that is like fascinating and interesting like people are so nice to you when you're dressed oh, like a nun. like super nice to you all the time fascinating that's a whole nother book you could write yeah I feel like maybe you eventually book on that. i don't know that whole experience of the difference that it brings yeah, out i mean you, right? it's i really like it and it's you know it this sounds cheesy it reminds me to be on my best behavior you right? know what i mean like i feel like i i took a highlighter and was like hey look at me and oh. i there's like a way i have to like live up to that you know which, you know, I try. It raises the bar. It does. It It's a totally different bar that I wasn't, like, it lowers right. some of the bars. I will say I've, I no longer routinely get pressure uh, about when I'm going to have kids. It's pretty much solved that problem. Although right. I'm also 44, so, you, you know, maybe that has clued people in that I actually mean it. Um, <laughs> I get hit on much less in public when I'm wearing a nut outfit, which is, Interesting, because man, the people who hit on you when you're well, you know, the people who hit on you when you're wearing a nun outfit are interesting people. <laughs> Those are interesting fellows. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, no, I'm really enjoying it. It's going well. Um, so we're in the process of um looking to establish an abbey, like a physical abbey where we can all like live and work together. Um, but that's 
we are still in the early stages of like planning that. So I imagine that would be at least like three or four years out. But if anybody has ever thought about like, wish I could be a witch nun, you can be a witch nun. That's a thing you can be in the world. And it's fabulous. See, and that was going to be my next question. Do you, will you have to stop your magic if you, once you take your vows or is that something? Oh, no, 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 no. I work for the witch goddess. No, 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 definitely not. That Um, is great. Yeah. To me, like the core elements of monasticism are about like the primary relationship in your life, right? not being with a husband and like not being with children, not even being with like your family of origin. Right. But being with like the divine and with your, I say sisters, but like people of whatever gender siblings in the goddess of the Cargo Pebbles. Yeah. Right. But the way I always like to say it is that I'm married to the goddess, but it's an open relationship. So it's not <laughs> like, like the only relationship in my life, but it is like the primary one. Right. It's where like, it's the thing I am not willing to compromise for other people, is the way I think about it. That's very cool. That is. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing that. That's, sure. that's just great. Insight. I always wanted to be a nun when I was little, but I didn't really know what nuns were. Like, we were Jewish and not very religious, like Jewish. So I had like only <laughs> the vaguest. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, well, no, you know, it's complicated. Like, Judaism is a tribal identity and like as a cultural identity, like we were for sure Jewish, like we just like weren't religious, really. Uh, But yeah, I didn't. Here's what I knew about. There was a monastery up this. I understand monasteries normally have monks and not nuns, but I'm telling you this place up the street from my house, like their sign (laughs) said monastery and they had nuns and not monks. I assume that at one point in the past they had monks but I don't know. Um, Like, this is when I was young. So, like, I don't have a fully adult, like, understanding of that place. But it was up the street from our house. And I guess I knew that they, like, lived in a beautiful castle with, like, a magical garden with a statue of a goddess in it. And they, like, studied and chanted all day. And there were no boys. And like they didn't have to get married and have kids. And all of that sounded amazing. And I wanted to do that. But then I found, you know, more about Catholicism and that. I definitely didn't want to be Catholic. That part didn't seem appealing at all. Right. Right. But I always kind of wanted to be a nun. So eventually I was like, well, if nobody's going to have pagan nuns, I'm just going to make that happen. So then, like, about, I will say, six or seven years ago, I sort of, set about to make that happen and apparently other people did too i've noticed that like a lot of other people's pagan monastic like things are happening now in fact a book just came out (sighs) i feel bad that i don't know what to tell people that book is called i think it's called pagan monasticism something something essays something (laughs) <laughs> like it, it, it's, it's a book if you tell google pagan monasticism book i think they'll know what book i mean oh maybe polytheist something like that anyway so it just you recently came that. out in the and last like at the end of the yeah i'll i'll look it up that. anyway That's um but it just came out there's a lot of like interesting things happening right now in pagan they monasticism. beat you to publishing the book i actually 
actually really wish I had, I somehow just like missed, like I didn't know anything about that book until it came out, which is partly I looked and like that call submission for submissions. Like I had COVID while that came out. So it just like, wasn't on my radar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wish, I wish like I'd known that book was going to come out. I would have written an essay for it too, but it was interesting. One of the things I really liked is, you know, there's like maybe 12 or 13 essays in it and they're all very different. Like it, it was really inspiring me to see like what a range of, of like ways people are, are sort of building monastic lives for themselves. Um, But there was always like a core of like, not retreat from the world, right? But of holding a firm boundary with the world. Right, like, which I appreciated. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. Um, so we do have a couple listener questions for you. Um, one is that, uh, so I know that Sarah is a well-rounded magician and she works with both the upper and lower worlds. Uh, I was wondering if you could share with us your favorite single note incenses for working with the celestial beings and for working with the chthonic or infernal beings. Oh, uh, for the upper world, if I was just going to pick one, definitely frankincense. Or like my top choice would be frankincense, but you could branch out like if you, I think depending where you live, right? If you have a resin tree with whom you are in relationship, right? So where I live, that's probably white pine is the most like on the East coast in the Northeast, the most common like tree that you would harvest resin from is white pine on the West. I would imagine maybe like pinion pine. I mean, it depends where you live, right? But either frankincense or resin from your own personal like upper world world tree um my favorite thonic incense probably mugwort or wormwood some kind of artemisia again depending on context yeah i'm gonna say if i had to pick a single one i like if you're only gonna stock two incenses i think either frankincense or a local or a local resin Oh, and the other one, mugwort or whatever, like your local Artemisia is. So like blue sage is also an Artemisia. Um, I mean, I mean, I know the name makes it sound like it would be a salvia and Artemisias and salvias are similar. But yeah, mugwort for me, maybe wormwood. Awesome. All right. That was a great answer, Sarah. And I have another one that's probably going to make you laugh. Sarah, I have tried to mix honey into my incense after reading your book so many times. And is it supposed to be as sticky as I am making it? Is it supposed to turn somewhat hard? Because mine is always very sticky and hard to handle after I've mixed it. Okay. So you're just using too much honey. Like if it's sticky, just use less honey, but also it should be a little bit sticky. So you do have to like mix it a lot and it is going to be like somewhat sticky. Um, And then you want to like sort of spread it out like on a baking pan or something and just let it dry out overnight and it'll be less sticky, but you're just using too much honey. Like uh, another trick is like, you know, particularly if you're making like a bigger batch, right? Um, like pull out some of the dry material so that after you add too much honey, you have more to add in, right? Because I know, 
that's actually how I got into making professional incense is every time I made incense for myself, I would be like, oh, too much of this. Better put the more of this in. And then I would have like half a gallon of Venus incense <laughs> that I was just like giving away because I had made way too much of it. And that's actually how I ended up in the incense business to start is just making too much incense. Um, if you're only making like a tiny... Like if you're going to make it and then immediately use it in a spell, right? You're not making it to like store. You could usually just leave the honey out and just use like the loose powder and put it directly on the charcoal. Like a lot of times I do that because a lot of time, you know, one of the things I like about loose incense as opposed to like sticks, which I hate. I just think they're messy and a hassle. They go out in the middle of ritual. They... I'm sure that other people are somehow less slovenly than me, but like, <laughs> I just get that ash all over everything every time I use stick. I hate sticks, but even like cones, I just like loose incense better because I feel like loose incense, I can control exactly how much smoke I want during the course of like the magic. And also I just feel like there's just like a, a certain drama that it brings to a ritual when you like, drop it onto the charcoal and you can like hear it sizzle and hiss and it like pops a little and then you can like change what incense it is over the course of the ritual so if you're making the incense like for a specific spell i actually wouldn't mix it at all right like i would just put the individual ingredients like bam 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 like i don't know what's that tv chef anyway like a tv chef right <laughs> like throw them on the charcoal with feeling in whatever order seems best to you at the time um, but yeah, it's just too much honey. Um, sometimes if your honey is a little thicker, if you heat it up a little bit so it's just thinner, it's easier to pour like small amounts if you warm it up a little. But if you put like your honey jar in the microwave, it just like like start with like 10 or 20 seconds. Honey gets like super hot, like napalm, and it will explode <laughs> or it will just like deform the plastic bottle and then your bottle will never stand up or seal properly <laughs> again. So word from a person who has done this many times. Honey in the microwave. Very, very short. It gets real hot real fast. Yes. But it'll, it just thins it out, so it's easier to pour. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and then uh, you, I see in your book you say that pretty well any of your incense blends can be made into oils. Um, do you have any tips or tricks for um, steeping the oils? Um, I, I remember reading in your book that using a crock pot is a good option. Um, do you always use the heating method or is, do you sometimes leave it just in the in the dark closet for a couple months or, you know, like what? what do I you usually do most? both. So I usually heat them. So I basically grind everything up as fine as I can grind it. If I'm, if I want to do a good job, but I mean, you don't have to, it just, it works better. The smaller, the more of the plant material you can get in direct contact with the oil, the better. But like, if you don't have a grinder, you can just kind of like chunk it up by hand. It just takes longer basically. And I, like I said, so there's instructions in the book, but I just put the plant material like in a jar 
right? Fill it up with oil and then put a lid on, but not sealed because you want steam to be able to get out if it has to, but you just don't want condensation dripping in. And then I just put it in the crock pot like as low as it'll go the slow cooker and do it that way. And then I usually don't strain afterwards, right? So I do like a real gentle heat extraction, but then it's just sitting on the shelf and I usually strain it when I use it. You could also though do them as essential oil blends. Um, just like the same ingredients. I will say, you know, different plants will extract into the oil differently. So the proportions of the, like it won't smell exactly the same in oil form as it will in incense form. So you wanna kind of like play around with the proportions a little bit. Um, but you can definitely basically use the same recipes with essential oils, just, you know, smell them. And if one of them seems much stronger than the other ones, use less of it. Right, like makes sense. Yeah, like I the want first to come time and mix with you. Sounds sorry, so I want to come and mix with you. Yes, please. Mix in all your brews. Right. Fun. One day I'll figure out how to. I need to like figure out how to like film my counter, right. which I think I just need to get a second person to film me, um, and then I'll like play TV, cook in my kitchen, yes. making incense. It'll be fun. I used to play TV. Like I used to play Julia Child when I was a little kid. It was like my favorite game. Nice. I don't know. It was a game I played. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of those ones where I I hope that scientists develop smell-o-vision by the time that you're ready to do that. So then we can smell your blends as you're making them. (laughs) Well, maybe it'll be like play along at home, right? Like I'll tell people in advance, like get these things and then we'll mix them together. Yeah. (laughs) We need to we need to do that. Put that on our right. need to do list because that was right. so fun. I'm there for that. There is actually, if people look on YouTube, there is a video of me making house blessing incense, new home blessing incense, I think, mm-hmm. which is like at the end of just like a a little there's like a half hour lecture about incense, basically. And I went through like, here are the 10 ingredients you should have to make the most incenses. Um and then and then there's like you can watch me make it. See, she already started. I, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm I'm playing more with, you know, the truth of the matter is I'm not that comfortable on video. Like at this point, like since COVID, I'm just like my whole business is over Zoom now, basically. Right. So I guess I've just gotten used to it. So I'm like willing to make more videos now. But the truth of the matter is like, it's like I can feel the camera trying to steal my soul. Like I just don't <laughs> like the camera. I should like line my nonvalent tinfoil or something. I, I can totally relate to that. Prior to this, you never prior to the C word, you never would have seen me on a Zoom call or anything. And now it's like like you say, it's how we do business now. It's so Yeah, and I mean so with classes, it's inner like it's it's less fun as a teacher, like no question. It's way more fun to teach people in person because in Zoom, like, I mean, half people don't even have their camera on. Like, you don't even know if they're there. It's just like teaching into the abyss and hoping people are there listening. Yeah, throw it out and see what sticks. But I will say like, as a student, I do appreciate all these classes that I don't have to like, necessarily show up for at like 10 o'clock in the morning which is not a time I'm willing to do things but I feel like at least where I live like the witch classes at bookstores were sometimes like 10 a.m on Saturdays I was like no you're you're crazy 
like, I don't even get out of bed until noon. No. Yeah. I'm like fully nocturnal at this point, basically, which I guess I always was, but I also taught high school for a long time. And that was just brutal. Like I had to drug myself awake every morning and then drug myself to sleep every night. And I know people say you get used to a schedule change, but in like a decade of teaching, I never got used to it. Everything about my life, everything about my life improved when I was allowed to like sleep instead from like dawn until noon, which is basically when I sleep. (laughs) And really like my health improved dramatically. My mood improved. I, I know like still fat, but I dropped a ton of weight, like in the first couple months after I was allowed to make that change. Like it really, I'm just a creature of the night, apparently. Well, yeah, you're listening to your internal clock, right? And, and allowing that to be. I, so. I mean, the okay. way I, I know it's like, it's fucked up that like my ability to go to sleep when I'm tired and wake up when I'm not tired anymore is like an insane privilege that other people don't have. Like our culture is just deeply fucked with respect to time but also you know the way I think about it is like if I was mother nature I would make sure that like 10-15% of the population was just naturally inclined to be awake for night watch yes so like yeah like that's I I just sort of often think about like well if I was mother nature designing humans how would I do it and then I assume that whatever mother nature did was better than that like she's at least (laughs) as smart as me much smarter (laughs) so like if if even i am like oh that was was a bad idea why did you do that once i actually ask that question and think about it i'm like oh that's why that works that way that was actually brilliant good job evolution (laughs) you know yeah i like it yeah we we need you night watchers right i really believe i i really do think that like Like nature is just amazing. And I I really do. I guess I just have like, almost as a matter of faith, I do think it makes sense. Like when I look at things in the world that don't make sense, when I actually try to make them make sense, they do. You know what I mean? Like it's hard. I have to think about it for a little. Excuse me. I have a little bit of a cold. Um, Yeah. So I'm a big believer in like the close observation of nature as a mechanism for understanding the world absolutely yeah for sure okay we have another listener question here for you and i i think that they have been looking at your lessons here because it said i see that you see uh oneromancy trance and journey work i have tried to learn this in many different ways and i find that i have trouble either recalling my dreams or being able to get lucid do you have any tips or tricks with that and do you have any tips or tricks for journey work without having to go to sleep if i'm not able to do that yes let me talk about dreams first and then i'll come back and talk about journeys because i think for most people dream work is a better place to start right um sadly right because of what i just said about our culture's fucked up relationship to sleep the number (laughs) one problem people have with oniromancy is that they are chronically sleep deprived and it's hard to do dream work in like your body will prioritize like regular you know at the end of the day the kind of dream work we do as magicians is not 
like regular healthy dreaming. Like there is an amount of like normal healthy dreaming that's just your brain like putting itself back together that you need. Like you need that, right? You in order to keep living and your body will always prioritize that over like whatever kind of wacky magic dreaming you want to do. Usually, your body will usually prioritize that. So the first my first recommendation is that they need more sleep and higher quality sleep, which I do appreciate is like easy for me to say, but hard for people to make happen. Um, other things that can help, right, um, are alcohol and marijuana both suppress dream recall. So do less of that if that's a problem for you. Um, but for me, the most reliable way to do it is to like wake up and then go and like actually wake up, like get out of bed, go to the bathroom, maybe even like do something for like half an hour, an hour, and then go back to sleep for an hour or two. For me, that like second piece of sleep is much more like that's where it's pretty easy to get those kind of magical dreams. And it's much easier to remember your dreams. And I really think it's mostly because like you allowed your body to get like good, healthy sleep. And now you're giving it extra sleep to do magic. And so that's, I think, um, like, that's my biggest piece of advice for that, right? The other thing is all the advice that they have probably already heard, right? Which is like, as soon as you wake up, write something down, even if what you write down is like, I did not recall my dreams tonight. I, I liked the way that person framed it right as trouble remembering their dreams and not trouble having dreams right so and I think that's useful right I think when you can recall and it's sort of the same in journey work right that like the actual the part that's hard is like bridging the gap between that sort of dream brain state and your regular waking brain state like you have to be able to bridge it in order to get the dream back to your waking life right and I think if you really focus in on that as the the place where you're having the problem then that can help a lot just psychologically to like remember that you are maybe having these experiences and you're having trouble remembering them and like bringing them back but it really is mostly about poor sleep quality and like is why you don't remember dreams usually or marijuana i mean a significant amount of people i talk to who are having trouble remembering dreams it's marijuana which like <laughs> i understand I mean, like you know you and really especially if you're waking up again and going back to sleep i mean you had to be real high when you went to bed to still be high like six hours later when i'm telling you to wake up for a while so like just don't smell like in that hour you get up in between don't smoke then go back to bed sober and um, that can help a lot. Um, and then journey work. Um, personally, I find headphones super helpful because like in the city where I live, it's the existence. I mean, even at like four o'clock in the morning when I'm sometimes doing it, like I can't get, I mean, I don't know if you guys can hear the train outside. I guess not because I have a mic on, but like there's a train going by right now. Right. And so I find that the headphones and like some white noise really help. I personally like a like randomly evolving white noise because I kind of like let uh, just like in spirit evocation, right. You will sometimes you like use incense smoke as like a medium for spirits to manifest visually in the like rain noise or ocean noise or whatever you choose. Like it gives spirit voices like 
a medium in which to manifest. I really like a very strong drum beat. Um, I find that extremely helpful. Um, I'm trying to think. Here's what I will say. You know, there's really two ways to have trouble at Trance Journey, right? There's people on sort of one end of the spectrum, perhaps like me, who are like maybe uptight control freaks who are having trouble letting go. And then on the other end of the spectrum, right, there's people who perhaps also like me are just having trouble paying attention, right? But it really is like, that's the tension, right? Is like, those, those are the only really two ways to fail at it is to not let go sufficiently or to let go too much, right? And it really is about like finding that liminal window in between. And I think when people are beginning the ability to hold inside that narrow window is like a developed skill. So when you're first learning it, like you might be able to find that trance place, but you might only be able to stay there for like very short periods of time. And that's okay. Like, just don't freak out about it. Like have a very short trance experience, like take some notes and then don't go immediately back down. Like it's not productive to try and do it over and over. You're like, You'll psychologically burn out, but also I think it's like maybe not physically good for you to just be pushing out of your body over and over and over in short succession. Like get back to yourself, like drink some water, drink some water. I can't explain why, but trance journey makes me super thirsty and I don't realize I'm thirsty until I start to drink. And then I'm like, oh, are mystical visions made out of water? Is that where my water went? Like, I don't understand the mechanism by which trans journey makes you so thirsty, but I don't think it's just me. I think that's just a universal fact that it's thirsty work for some reason. I would agree with that. Yeah, right. I don't, but nobody has really explained to me like physiologically why that should be the case unless it's just that you're breathing through your mouth. Um, it might be that. One theory that we had um, with a big group that was doing journey work was uh, that you're actually chewing through electrolytes because you're using so much more power in your brain. And so we actually found that if you take salts in before you do your journey work in your water, that we had less thirst when we were done doing the journey work. Oh, that's, so that's fascinating. Just, I'm going to so try that. That's so a like theory. Gatorade before the journey? Yeah. Yeah. All so right, like a Gatorade that. or you can get those little noon packets or whatever yeah. and dump in your water. Try that. I, I have found it works. It's just a theory. All right. yeah, I have no hard science to back it up, but <laughs> interesting. I will definitely try it. Um, but yeah, so just try it in like little short bumps basically. Right. And see if that helps, but also address your chronic sleep deprivation, I guess. Did I, can yeah, you remind can... me if I actually answered their question? Well, that was their <laughs> question, right? They just wanted general trance advice. Yeah, just just help to um, get into a trance or journey if they weren't able to recall their dreams. Um, yeah, I, I yeah. Sadly, I really do. I mean, there are there are like chemical supports they can try. So they can try like a dream recall oil or something like that. They can try like a dream incubation spell work, but. I actually think the thing that they should try is getting more sleep. For sure. And I mean, but I know that's like not a fun witchy answer. <laughs> it's a very like grandma nun, like go to bed earlier. kind of. I'm, I'm sure they were expecting flying ointment or, you know, smoking something, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, and don't you also think that maybe lowering your expectations 
right? It, I oh, yeah. That I mean, you've started and yet like, you know, you're doing journey work and you, um, whoever your, whatever your group is that you're doing it with, like Azariel is really good at it. And so if we compare to him and our first few times, it's like, well, I don't remember anything. And I think the frustration gets in the way. I, so think, I think you so. have to back up. I agree. And I also think like, I want to commend this person for like admitting that they don't remember things because we all know people who are recounting journeys or dreams. They are obviously lying. Like they're clearly making it up. You can tell even they don't believe what they're saying. Like it's written all over. So like, I actually think like long-term it is a good sign, right? It's a sign that like, you're not just projecting or deluding yourself because if you were, you'd be doing that, right? So it means that like, as you get success, you're gonna get real success. But it is, it really is just like, kind of a matter of practice. And I will also say, like, it takes a long time. So when I was first learning like trance descent, the kind where you like go down, down, down the roots of the world tree or like however you teach it, but the kind where you go down, like Alice down the rabbit hole is the way I think about it. The first many times, the first several months, like it took me a while to get any success at all, right? And then after that, it took quite, like I was just going down, but like not getting anywhere for a long time. Like it took the first, like, the first couple times I made it to like, I call it like the womb of being, but whatever, whatever we call like the like landing pad at the bottom of the going <laughs> yeah. down, you know, like it took me the first couple of times, it took me a good 40 minutes of going down to actually get there. But that gets so much faster. Like once you do it successfully a couple of times, it's like, it's kind of lubricated and then you can just kind of like slide down pretty quick. But it really is like, I agree, like, don't let your don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, right? Like, it's mostly just practice. And, you know, it's like we were saying at the very beginning, I think try also and come to it with just like a like attitude of playfulness, because I think I think like a lot of things like performance anxiety can just get in the way of actually doing the thing. So it's like, it should be fun. And if you're not having fun doing it, like just stop and do something else. Like if your practice stops being fun as a beginner, right? Like I understand as we progress, sometimes there's just like some hard grinding work you got to put in to like learn biblical Hebrew or like translate into it. You know what I mean? Like there's some actual work, but for as like when you're starting something, if it's not fun in the beginning, like why are you even doing it? Just do something else and like come back to it because everything you learn, like everything's connected. So if you're having a lot of trouble with one technique, just like stop and go do some other kind of magic. And then when you come back, the things you learned there, you can like bootstrap into anything because all the beginner magic skills are all, closely related so like you can always use one of them to get you over the edge in another one so like whatever it is you do feel like you're strong in lean into that and do some magic there to help you with the dream magic right so like if you find you're really effective at candle magic then start doing some candle magic about like trance magic right or if you're really into 
I'm suddenly drawing a blank. If you're really like into herbs, then maybe you want to make like a dreaming tea that you take before you go to bed. Right. And all of those things. But I really do think that for dreaming and trance in particular, good, solid, healthy sleep and not too many drugs is actually the best remedy. <laughs> but but I really wish that. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, sorry. Oh, maybe you guys didn't even hear that. Sorry. My FaceTime oh. just started ringing at me like somebody's trying. Oh, to funny. Oh. Um, but I would much rather be talking to you. I'm gas. <laughs> yes, I mean, I don't know who it was, but nobody, I mean, truth be told, nobody I want to talk to calls on the phone. Like everybody knows that I'm not going to answer the phone. So like if somebody wants to get me on the phone, they always send an email like, can you call me? Because I never answer. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> um, yeah. So I think like, like if you're not getting success with trans, you can try elsewhere. Um, I'm trying. Oh, okay. Here's a couple like just pro tips for trance. Keep your spine straight and touch the tip of your tongue to the roof of your mouth. Like not so far back that you're choking yourself, but like slide it back a little bit. And like, I'm not a really sophisticated like yogi or whatever. So I can't really explain to you why that works, but it somehow like closes an energy circuit between like your throat and your third eye and like the back of your head in some way touching your tongue there I learned that trick from Jason Miller who I'm gonna imagine learned it from like Bon Tantra probably because that's I don't know he has like fancy like he has a lot of that like more embodied energy body work in like genuine lineage than I do like I just learned it on the streets the dirty way (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah but that can really help Um, And also, I've seen some people, I don't run into this as much, but I feel like for a while, some people got it into their head that like, the best way to induce like a mystical trance state was to be very uncomfortable. And so like, they take these like insane yoga poses that are intended to be like a stretch you do for two minutes. And then they're just trying to like rigidly lock their body into that for half an hour. And I feel like one, that's definitely going to get in the way of what you're trying to do. And also just as like an old person, I don't think that's very good for your hips. So like, like <laughs> when something hurts, that's your body telling you to stop doing yeah, Don't that. do that. Yeah. But like, I don't like pain. I actually feel like I, you know, I recently had a quite serious, like I call it an injury, a mystery inflammation crisis that was a mystery, but also definitely happened immediately after I got a vaccine shot. Um, But anyway, so I was in like really quite serious, couldn't walk pain for a couple of months. And it really like, it's pain is not conducive to anything. Like it was very hard for me to be in trance. I mean, being not in my body was appealing, but like the pain was just like an alarm going off in the back of my head all the time. And so you know, I always tried to have compassion for people with chronic pain, but I, a couple months of chronic pain really gave me a new compassion for people who are doing that all the time because I really just wanted to murder everyone I was around all the time. So yeah, like that's another tip is like, you know, be physically comfortable, but try and be physically comfortable in a way that keeps your spine vertical if possible. Yeah, makes total sense. Absolutely. That was a really good in-depth description there. I think they're going to be really happy with that. <laughs> also, oh. I teach a class, so they could come take a class from me. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I have, I have, have 50 more pages of that class. 
with that advice. We will have to be um, totally engaging in your classes. I'm so intrigued. It's this has been awesome. fantastic to learn yeah. more about you and your all your magical awesomeness. I'm loving it. I try really hard to be the teacher that like I wish I had when I was coming up. Like that's how I taught <laughs> high school and that's how I teach witchcraft. So I but I but I appreciate that. that that's maybe not the right teacher for everybody. But right. you know. If you like this, I just do this the whole time. <laughs> God, your I, energy I need is so good. Thank you. It's just there. It's great. I, I love teaching. So even like you guys know that like right before we we actually started recording, I was like, oh, I've had like a terrible day. I'm sort of but as soon as I like start, like I, I genuinely just love magic. It's like I'm so excited about it. I just am happy to talk about it all the time. For sure. I'm the same way. I can be having a terrible day. And then I do one of these and it's like, oh, I get to hang out with my people. This is fantastic. Right? It's like the <laughs> second best thing after actually doing magic with other people. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Which I get to do tomorrow. I have coven meetings on Fridays. Nice. Yay. So if people want to get a hold of you to hire you for a reading or some services or anything like that, where can they find you? Uh, witchlessons.com We'll take them to the courses page of my website, but that's just the easiest URL to remember. And they can get to everything else from there. But also like my name is highly Googleable. So like if you just put Sarah Mastros in quotes into Google, I am, as far as I know, the only Sarah Mastros on the planet. Um, like my family name got changed at Ellis Island relatively recently. So they're like, I am reasonably confident that I am closely related to every Mastros in the world. So if you Google me, I'll come up. Um, I Facebook. googled you and you came up. It was great. Yeah, right. I mean, I think if you put me in quotes, it's just me, basically. Yeah. I think if you Google hard enough, you can find like reviews of high school students telling me, like telling people that I'm a mean calculus teacher. And also <laughs> that I'm a nice calculus teacher. I mean, it depends, you know, which kid you ask. <laughs> yeah. As you might imagine, teenagers are a little fickle. <laughs> uh, mostly they say that I'm hard, but fun. That I will say is my overwhelming a review from students. My favorite review from a student ever was that I am the Kung Pao chicken of math teachers, which I chose to interpret as a compliment. But I really have no idea what they were trying to, to say with that sentence. It sounds fabulous. Well, I'm allergic to peanuts, so it's a little weird. <laughs> I'm given to understand that for people for whom Kung Pao chicken won't kill them, it's a compliment. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> okay and so um you have an, your next book or your orphic hymns book is being reprinted at hadian um you huh? said that should be about this fall yes. and um your book is able to be found pretty much anywhere on magical incense um yep, yep. So anywhere um from my point of view the best place to buy it is to like call your local book witch store and ask them to order it for you i think which I mean, I know I'm preaching to the magic shop. <laughs> I, I know I'm preaching the choir here, but I feel like for a lot of younger people who are or people who are newer to our community, I think like they don't always appreciate like how important a community infrastructure those stores are. Like we need those, right? And having lived in places where there wasn't one, it like it's hard. Like those are the backbone of which community, like actual in-person which community. So I really encourage people to like support them. And so I'd much rather you bought my book there. You can also, if you want an autograph copy, buy it directly from me. Awesome. awesome. Or I guess, honestly, if you ask at your witch store, they can buy an autograph copy from me and sell it to you. <laughs> oh, that isn't that great. We can have a shipment of autograph books sure. coming in. I can do that. 
Yeah, we might have to talk to you about that. Hey, let's talk. Uh, I could definitely do that because I stocked way up in preparation for festival season and then boom, 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 boom. All my festivals got canceled. So I got a lot of boxes of books that I'm like (laughs) looking at right now. Well, we will talk to you for our next order then probably. Absolutely. That's, I just think that's a whole next level to have them all signed. Fancy. Just makes sense, right? We like the fancy. Well, this has been absolutely lovely. You are absolutely brilliant and your energy exudes just so much and it's been great. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for having me. I really did have a good time after what was in fact not a great day. (laughs) 